Today's message is about spiritual understanding or lack of it, spiritual blindness. In my early Christian years, right in the beginning when I became born again, I was listening to some preachers on TV. I remember one of them specifically talking about this young ruler. He's the one that Jesus told him, go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. But we read that he became very sad because the Bible says he was very rich. And then Jesus turned to his disciples. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter God's kingdom. And those who heard him, they asked him, then who can be saved? Jesus said, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So the context is being saved and entering God's kingdom. What Jesus meant by it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, he meant it literally, sewing needle. Why did he say it's easy? Because he's the creator. He can do anything he wants. Bible is very clear when he says he was the agent that created all things, this universe and everything in it. So if he wants to, that's why he says easier. He can reduce the size of a camel and get that camel through the eye of a needle. It's difficult for a rich man to be saved. First of all, to be saved, God reaches to every single person and he approaches everyone by his word, the gospel. It is up to them when he receives the word to react. Either they accept Christ or they reject Christ. God will never force anybody to, to be saved. That's why the decision is to the person who hears the gospel. Therefore, if the decision is theirs, I mean, whoever listens to the gospel, if they happen to be rich, it makes it more difficult for them to make a decision. That is, if, you know, the point is not the riches. That is, if their heart is in their riches. Just like this man. Jesus knew exactly what his problem was. That's why he said what he said to this young ruler. The preacher went on saying, there's a gate in Jerusalem by the name of I have a needle, small enough for people to go through, but not for animals like camel. So from time to time, if they had to, the first thing they did, they unload the burden, then force the animal on its knees, and that's how they got the camel through it. Now, assume there is a gate, but there is no gate by that name in Jerusalem. Later on, when I studied different subjects, including the walls of Jerusalem, the gates, tabernacle, this, that, I came to understand there is no gate by that name before Jesus, nor during his ministry or after. I have no idea why that preacher said what he said. So, assuming that there was a gate, assuming it was just small for the pedestrian, if people got the camel through such a gate, what he said will nullify what Jesus said. Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So if men could get a camel through an eye of a needle, it means it is possible for people to be saved or entered into the kingdom of God. That is by their own efforts. That's what it means. Jesus literally meant an eye of a needle. Being saved is God's prerogative. He's the only one that can save you. And this is one of the reasons that I appreciate the experience of being born again. Because right at the time when you accept Christ Jesus our Lord, God gives you a new spirit just the way he promised in the Old Testament. And he says in the new spirit, I will give you the Holy Spirit. Right at the moment you gave your heart to the Lord, 
Jesus could have been a religious figure for you or a historical figure, but all of a sudden he becomes your Lord and Savior. And then God the Creator becomes your Heavenly Father. And right from the beginning of being born again, you know the Bible is the infallible Word of God. That just comes with the dose of revelation that God gives to every born-again believer. Do you believe that? You just know these things from within, from the new spirit and the Holy Spirit that's within you. That's why I'm saying I so very much appreciate that experience of being born again because God gives you a dose of spiritual understanding right from the beginning. If that's how it begins, it has to go all the way to the end in the same way, having the spiritual understanding. Last Sunday, Vahe was speaking about the blind man that Jesus healed in the ninth chapter of Gospel of John. Every time I go through Gospel of John reading his story, he becomes more likable than ever to a point that for me, I think he's like one of us. All he understands, all he knows that I was blind, but now I see. Very simple man with humor, but he delineates a born-again believer and the experiences that comes to us as believers right from that moment. As the Pharisees interrogated him several times, at one point Jesus found him and he said to him, do you believe the Son of Man? He said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He said, it is I who is speaking to you. Then he says, Lord, I believe. And the Bible says that he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they were very angry with the Lord because all of that happened during the Sabbath. Talk about how blind they were to see what the Lord was doing. And in the ninth chapter, in verse 39, this is what we read. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. The word sin is singular in these verses. It points to or it refers to our sinful nature. He said to Pharisees, if you were blind, you would be without sin. What he's saying is simple. The fact is that no one can see spiritually Without our Lord Jesus, without accepting me, no one can see. What the Lord is saying, if you admit to me that you are blind, spiritually blind, you will be without sin. Anyone who comes to the Lord, God forgives all his or her sin. The sin nature, and also to the point that Bible says when God forgives, he forgives your past sins, present sins, and future sins. That's why he says, if you admit to me or you say to me you're blind, you would be without sin. But since you say you see, that is without me, your sin remains. And that's the spiritual blindness that the Pharisees and the scribes had during the time of Jesus. Just think about them. You know, the scribes, the Levites, right from the beginning, they were the custodian of the Word of God. They kept it all the way down the centuries. Of course, there was no printing press back then. When they wanted to copy the Bible, they would go through an elaborate procedure. Word by word, several people would check to make sure that when they're copying, they would not leave not even a dot 
from the original copy. That's how meticulous they were. That's how educated they were. But all of that aside, they were spiritually blind. When the Bible speaks of spiritually blind, he's talking about his own people. Here's Isaiah 42, 18. I will read it for you. It says, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Of course, you can see it's talking about spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. Otherwise, it wouldn't mean anything. Oh, deaf, you hear what I'm saying. If they're physically deaf, they're not going to hear what you're saying. Or look, if you're uh, physically blind, you cannot see. So he's speaking about spiritual blindness and deafness. Verse 19, who is blind but my servant? Oh, deaf as my servant whom I sent. Who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not observe. Opening the ears, but he does not hear. Here's almost the same thing from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is the call of the prophet after what he saw and received the calling. This is what God told him. And he said, go and tell people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return to be healed. Jesus quoted these exact words from Isaiah 6 in Matthew 13 when the Lord spoke about the parable of the sower. Most of you in this church, I believe you're familiar with the parable of the sower. It's the parable that he says that the sower went out, scattered his seeds. Some of the seeds fell on along the road, some of the seeds fell in a rocky place. Some of the seeds fell on among the thorns. And some, the fourth category of seeds, fell on the good ground. Of course, after telling this parable, none of them understood. His disciples asked him the meaning of it. When he interpreted, he said, the seed is the word. Now, there's three Gospels that record this parable. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The context of each gospel is different from one another. I will show you the differences. There's four categories of people because Jesus said himself when he was interpreted, he said, the field are the people. So you have the word, word of God, that the sower scatters, and you have the field, which are four different categories of people. That's what he explained. There's no difficult thing about it when Jesus explains who is the sower? In this parable, sower could be any believer. It's a lower case. You know, it's the same way the Apostle Paul says, one sows, another one waters, but God makes it grow. In the same chapter 13, in the different parable, Jesus was speaking about the parable of the tares. He said, the sower is the son of man. He identifies himself as the sower. But in this particular one, it could be our Lord could be anybody that brings the word to people. So you have the sower, you have the seed, which is the word, and you have the field, which are different category of people. Now, when he explained this parable, in Mark's gospel, this is what he said. Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So in this Mark's gospel, 
Jesus said, the seed is the word. It's just general sense about the Bible. And these are four categories of people and four different reactions when they hear the word. They could be believers, they could be unbelievers. I want you to see the differences that I'm going to talk about in three different Gospels, beginning with Mark. In Mark's Gospel, the seed is the word. Now, in Luke's Gospel, verse 8, it says, Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Mark said, the seed is the word. Here he says, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. In Luke's gospel, the seed is the word of God. And the seed is the gospel that comes to them. Because of what Jesus said, lest they believe and be saved. So these people in the Luke's gospel, they're all unbelievers in the parable. In Mark's gospel, there could be believers or unbelievers. It's just their reaction towards the word that they hear. In Luke's gospel, just because Jesus said, lest they believe and be saved, all this category of people are unbelievers. This is the first time they hear the gospel. Now, we come to the Matthew's gospel. From verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, See, it's very different than the previous two Gospels. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is he who receives the seeds by the wayside. Here in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said the seed is the word of the kingdom. Word of the kingdom is the full gospel, not just the gospel of your salvation. Full gospel is you receive the gospel of your salvation and you continue all the way to the end. To the point which is God's ultimate will and desire for his own. That means you grow with the Lord all the way to the end. It is not just the gospel you hear, but the full gospel. Word of the kingdom here is for the believers. You don't preach the word of the kingdom to unbelievers. You preach gospel of salvation to unbelievers. In the gospel of Matthew, the seed is the word of the kingdom. Therefore, all of them are believers. Very important to see the difference between these three gospels. Now, if you go through all of them one by one, I will explain. After Jesus said everything about this parable, then he explained And he quoted Isaiah 6, in verse 51 of the same chapter, Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? Main emphasis in Matthew's gospel of this parable is about spiritual understanding. I'm going to read that again for you from Matthew 13, 19. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. So understanding in various forms in this parable It's all about spiritual understanding. And spiritual understanding, as I said, throughout the Bible is for the people of God. Proverbs 19.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is simply that you believe God and His Word and you take His Word seriously. That's having fear of the Lord. 
Whatever comes from the Lord, you take it seriously and know there is a consequence of whatever that comes from the Lord. That's fear of the Lord. Not that you are scared of him, that he's going to punish you from anything you do or not to do, but rather believing in him and anything that comes from him, you are serious about it. Now, let's look at the first category of the people. Again, verse 19 in this Matthew's gospel, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. It is hard to believe that the word comes to this people, this category of people, and it's easily snatched away by the enemy. In the parable, it says, birds of the air devour the seed. Why they devoured the seed? Because it was on the surface. It's on the wayside or on the roadside where the ground is hard, did not sink in. These people heard the word, but they never took the word in their heart. There's a receptivity in our hearts when the word comes from the throne of grace. You know it's coming from the Lord. We should have that receptivity and keep that word in us. Second category We read in verse 20, this is when Jesus explains the parable. He says, but he who receives the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Endurance is part of spiritual understanding. Why is that? As a believer, you believe the infallible word of God. The word infallible means reliable, is foolproof, is dependable. You know that as a believer. So endurance comes as you go through the difficulties. Again, this is the word of the kingdom. When the persecution difficulty comes because of the word, they just fall away. That points to they had no clear understanding or spiritual understanding of what they received. If they really understood what the Lord gave them, they would have this endurance. The third category of people, verse 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and he become unfruitful. The thorns grew up and choked the world. What is missing in this group of people, there was no resistance against anything that comes from the world. He says the cares of this world and one thing, other things, comes in and chokes the world. That could be our lifestyle that we want to live. I want to live a certain lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to have a certain salary for my job. If it comes in, he wants to have a precedence over and above the word that you have in your heart, a permanent residence in your heart instead of the word. Now you come to the fourth category of people. We read in verse 23, it says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Again, Understanding, spiritual understanding is the key word in all of this parable in the Matthew's gospel. Understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. 
even in this category, there are those who go all the way to the end, they produce hundredfold, some 60, some 30. It is not that Jesus gave more attention to this category of people, no. All four of them received the same word. Same potentiality for every one of them was present. The sower ministered to them. They received the ministry of the sower. But for this category of people, they had to go through all the first three steps. First, receptivity was there. They took it in, and then they endured the hardship or persecution, tribulation. Then they resisted all those things that wants to come in and choke the word. Passing all those through, they produced the crops, 100-fold, 60-fold, and 30-fold. But here's the interesting and strange thing about these three categories of people. They all received the same word, same power, same potentiality for all four of them. But for the first three categories, what they received came to nothing. It did not do anything to them. It did not work for them. Is it possible God's word comes to you and does nothing? Would that be right if I say that? If the Lord speaks to you with the same power that has all the potential to do something in your life, but nothing happens. Would that be true? Let me read this from Isaiah 55. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return here, but water the earth, and make it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's simply saying he gives you the rain and the snow. As they come down from heaven, they do their work. And then the rain ultimately rises up, You know, that's the natural environment that God created. And again, comes down, does its work, goes up, and this, so on and so forth. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. God is saying, my word, when it comes out of my mouth, it will not return to me void. How is it going to return void? Let me ask you this first question. When God speaks to us, how is it going to come back to him? That's when we believers, we stand and we say, yes, Lord, in whatever direction. Let me give an example from Psalm 103, next verses. I'm going to read this for you. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, I've been telling you that I listen to the Bible and every time I go through the Psalms, I get to hear a whole bunch of them together, and I have picked up this that David says constantly. He's speaking to himself all the time. He's speaking to his soul constantly. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He's telling himself, praise the Lord, O my soul. In some places he says, why are you so quiet within me, O my soul? Praise the Lord. I have picked up these sayings of David once in a while, I find myself, if I'm depressed about something, or something depressed me, <laughs> I remember him, and I say, why are you so quiet within me, O my soul? Praise the Lord. Speak about his good works that he has done for you. That is exactly what he's saying. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, 
who crowns you with loving kindness, with tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. It says, He forgives all your iniquities. Do you believe that? You should, otherwise you'll be in trouble. If you don't believe that He forgives all your iniquities, your spirituality will be questionable. In the same strength that you believe that God forgives all your iniquities, He says, I heal all your diseases. Do you believe He does that? Or just He heals the curable ones? When it comes to uncurable ones, up to this point I'm saying, some have a difficulty. But here the Lord says, I heal all your diseases. Not just a group of them, all of them I heal. Do you believe it? See, when you and I believe it and we stand in our prayers, we say, Lord, I believe this is how the word goes back to him. He says, I speak the word, comes with the power to do anything he says. How it's going to go back is through us when we stand and say, Lord, I believe. And of course, when you take a stand like that as a believer by faith, you will go through some testing to see how far you will go in this direction. Testing is always there, and I think testing is good in a sense that we get to know whether we believe it or not. Or if the pressure comes up, like the second category, when the sun comes up, scorches and they fall away, or the tribulation comes, they fall away. How long can you endure in this direction? That's how you confess, and the word goes back to the Lord. Now, going back to the parable, three out of four categories, they fell. The word that came to them did not do anything to them. Nothing happened to them. Is that again true? God says, my, my word goes forth. It will do whatever I said it will do. In uh, John 12, this is what the Lord Jesus said. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The first part of it, he who rejects me and does not receive my words, in the Gospel of Luke I showed you, that was the Gospel people heard. They were all unbelievers. First category were rejected. Second part, when he says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So, if it's an unbeliever, let's say, and they rejected the Lord Jesus, I'm speaking about again from Luke's parable, there's a white throne judgment which will happen at the end of thousand years of reign of our Lord Jesus on this earth. Right after the thousand years, as we read in the book of Revelation, he says, John says, heaven and earth will disappear. During that time, God will judge all the unbelievers, those who did not accept Christ as the Lord and Savior. On that day, book of Revelation says, books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. I ask you, these are all unbelievers that they rejected Christ all throughout the centuries. He also preached the gospel when he went to hell for three days before he was raised. He preached to everyone from the beginning all the way to when he was raised from the dead. Everyone will have a chance to hear the gospel. One way or another, that's what the word says. However they're going to hear it, they will hear it. And the white throne judgment, God will judge all the unbelievers. Why is the book of life open in that time? The book of life is going to be open on that day to show 
that your name is not in the book of life. And this is when what God said, whatever I said that he will accomplish, will be accomplished in them, whether this way or that way. They received the word in the gospel of Luke. They heard the gospel, but it came to nothing. The word did its work. You rejected him. Just like Deuteronomy 28. God says, choose life or death. Choose me, he says, live. They chose death, so that was their destination. But for the gospel of Matthew, the parable is for the believers. Believers will all stand at the judgment, the seat of Christ. Not to be judged as far as being saved or not. No. All of them will be judged according whether they will receive a reward or not, which makes a big difference in God's ultimate desire and will for his own people. At the judgment of the seat of Christ, all of us will stand there for all the things that we've done in the body of Christ or we haven't done. We will all be judged. Just as Paul says, there's one foundation for every believer, and this Jesus Christ. But he says you must be careful how you build on this foundation. If you build it with gold or silver or costly stones, the fire will bring it, it will last. But if you build it on hay, wood, and straw, the fire will burn it. You yourself will be saved, he says, but as though somebody escaping through the fire. As Pastor Fred used to say, that's a fire insurance. So you see, whether you're born again or unbeliever, all of us will be judged. Believers at the judgment seat of Christ, unbelievers during the time of white throne judgment. And that's where whatever God said will come through. The way he said it, the way he designed it. He says, I'm going to read it again because I love the way he says it. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the things for which I send it to. I believe all of us should be students of the Bible. Not that I believe we have to be a student of the Bible. By that, I'm not saying go to a theological school. There's no amount of theological school, bachelor's degree, all the way to doctor's degree, can make you spiritually insight or see spiritually. No amount of education will do that. Pharisees are the example of it. By saying we have to be student of the Bible, all I mean is this, that if it's Bible reading, that you want to read the Bible. Not that I have to because I'm a believer. And sometimes believers say, I have to read a chapter. No, you want to read the Bible. You want to learn. You want to have a spiritual sight. You want to have eyes that see and ears to hear. That's something that the Lord sees. He knows what's in your mind and he knows what's in your heart. This is something that the Lord and only Lord can assess in your life. And accordingly, he will give it to you. Not that I have to as a believer. That's the problem. As I always say, whenever you want to read the Bible, pray. Pray that the Lord will open your eyes and ears to see and hear. As a believer, sometimes, just take myself as an example, I come across verses in the Bible or a paragraph. After I reading uh, the paragraph, I say, my God, I have absolutely no clue what you're saying. I mean, there's a zillion of verses in the Bible. Don't think that I'm standing here and teaching that I know everything. The fact is, the more I read, the more I come to this conclusion that I don't know much about the Bible. 
I'm going to give you an example of this, that as you come across, sometimes I pass by them, and I would say to myself, well, when the time comes, I will know. But sometimes I have this inward knowing that I want to know what he says. I'm going to give you an example, and this is from Isaiah 4.1. The context is the end times. It says, and in that day, that day is the end times, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Here's an example. After reading this, I says, what on earth does this mean? Seven women getting hold of one man. Here is what I believe what it is. Women in the Bible are types of churches. The great example is the bride in the New Testament. There's many women in the Old Testament that they are type of church. At the end time, this is the context, as I said, on that day, there will be seven churches will come to one man. Who is that one man? The New Testament, speaking about our Lord Jesus, it says, one new man. Seven churches will come to our Lord Jesus and will say, we will provide our own food. What food is this? Is it physical food? No. Is this is teaching. We will provide our own teaching. We, we don't want to get you involved in it. We will teach our own. We will also wear our own apparel. I mean, once you begin to understand it, it's just horrible to see what they're saying. As believers, we have an apparel, which is the white robe of righteousness that we have from Christ. These seven churches, they don't want to have anything to do with that kind of a righteousness that Jesus is offering. Just think what they're saying. We will teach our own teaching. We will have our own righteousness. Just let us be known by your name. I mean, just think, how many churches can you name in these days that fall into this category? As I said, it's horrible to see the meaning of it. And speaking about spiritual blindness, I mean, this is something else. Once you begin to see. Equivalent verse with this is the next one from Leviticus 26, 26. This Leviticus 26 is just like Deuteronomy 28. God begins by saying, if you listen to my words and follow all my commandments or do all my commandments, all these blessings will come upon you. And you go through the blessings and one after another, it's just wonderful. Everything pertained to this life and some is all written in there. But then halfway through, he says, if you don't, if you don't follow all my commandments and not do them, all these curses will follow you. I mean, if you go through the curses... Honestly, one after another, there's more horrible things enlisted in those curses than ever. There's more curses in that chapter than there is blessings. Leviticus 26 is the same way. It begins, if you follow the Lord, this will happen. At this point, this is what it says. This is when they don't follow the Lord. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall take your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Again, I'm going to interpret it the same way. Ten women, ten churches. It says ten churches will bake bread in the same oven. That means what they're going to give it to you will have the same essence. They'll bring it to you by weight. By the pound, they will give it to you, or kilogram, if you will. By the kilo, they will give you. You will eat it but not be satisfied. Why? Because it's not the real thing. Is he talking about the bread, physical bread, or spiritual bread? 
Of course, spiritual prayer. He says, I will cut off. When I do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Spiritual understanding and spiritual blindness spoken in the Bible is for the believers. It is very crucial to understand in all of these things. Let me go back to uh, Matthew 13. This is the last thing I wanted to share for the message. Matthew 13, I'm going to read from 14 to 15. It's the last verses. This is what Jesus quoted from Isaiah. He says, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. I highlighted the word turn, so that I should heal them, lest they should understand. First thing, you need to have spiritual eyes in order to see spiritually. Lest they should understand, if you don't have spiritual eyes, you will not see it and nor understand it. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. The word turn is like repentance. Not that for the first time you accept the Lord, no. Turn means 180 turn. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. If you don't have the spiritual understanding, you will not turn. You cannot turn so that I should heal them. Lord can say everything he wants to say with all the potentiality, it will come. But it's up to you to turn. This is not just physical healing. It's healing from all directions. Having spiritual sight is what turns you, and then the Lord heals. Amen? You see, it has to be this way. Unfortunately, majority of believers... I'm going to say this and close it. They come and they give their hearts to the Lord. For over the 40 years, I've seen it, so many of them. That also happens to our second generation. They are raised in the church. At one point, they give their hearts to the Lord. And like the majority of believers, rarely read the Bible, if any. Some of them don't. They do not participate in the church meetings. Rarely come or they don't come. And that's their spirituality. And I have seen, and this is my observation, that believers like that, who are they again? I'm saying, hardly read the Bible or never. They never evolved in the church, but they're still born again. In this group, I have found out they have high expectation of what God should do or not do. God forbid if something happens to their life, the first thing they blame is God himself. First thing they blame is God himself. But see the choices that God has given us in all the things that I shared today, just for today. Choose me and live. Choose life or death. Choose. The word comes with the same power. Do your responsibility. Take it in. Endure. Resist. All of that is part of life of a believer. Amen. Lord willing, I will continue this message in a different direction next Sunday. God bless you, and I will see you next Sunday.